Welcome to the Purpose City Church Podcast, where we're dedicated to guiding you on a journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We're thrilled to have you here, and regardless of where you're tuning in from, we have faith that this message will be a direct source of inspiration in your life. We are in the midst of a collection of conversations here at Purpose City Church that we have deemed royalty checks royalty checks and the goal of this series is to help you take your rightful place in the handling of God's money the first step to getting in alignment with how to handle God's money is to realize that it's his you don't have any money I know, I know you think that you, you have money and you come to church trying to figure out how much of your money, because it's not your, it's your money that you're going to give. But the truth of the matter is step one in kingdom biblical financial stewardship is to realize that we're just managers. We're not owners. But we do have a rightful place that we're supposed to sit in as sons and daughters of God. And sometimes that can be a struggle. Maybe it's how we were raised. Nobody taught us about money. Maybe we didn't have anything growing up. There was a struggle. Or maybe things were fine, but I started looking around at what others had and I made some decisions that weren't in alignment with the biblical principles that the Bible teaches because the Bible teaches biblical principles about how we're supposed to handle our finances. And so this whole series is about looking through the Bible to find the wisdom that God has left in it to help us manage our money. And today we're going to look at a very familiar passage of scripture to find another truth that he has left for us. I'm going to be reading from the book of Mark, the sixth chapter. Mark is the second book in your New Testament right after Matthew. I'm going to be reading Mark chapter six, starting at verse 30. Mark 6 and 30. I'll be reading from the NLT. (laughs) My wife said I got to stop with the KJV jokes, so I'll be reading from Mark 6 and the 30th chapter from the NLT. When you got it, say, I got it. If you don't got it, say, hold up. All right. Mark 6. Verse 30 is where we'll start. It reads, the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour. Come on. This is way better than the Renaissance tour. This is way better than any other tour that you've been to. This is the apostles of Jesus on tour. I wonder what that tour was called. My brain does that when I be reading the Bible. Like, what was the name of their tour? 
and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while because rest is biblical. You shouldn't be burning yourself out for your job. And guess what? This verse tells us that you shouldn't burn yourself out in the name of ministry either. You should rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. They was hungry, y'all. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, it's a sad thing to be shepherdless. It's a bad thing to be trying to pastor yourself. I know you think your internet pastor is your pastor. He don't even know your name. She don't even know who you are. It's a sad thing to be a sheep without a shepherd. That's why Jesus had compassion on them. And because of that compassion, it says he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. And it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. With what? Ain't that how we do, Jesus? What you mean? Feed them. They asked, we'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. Jesus responds, how much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported. We have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people he also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. I mean, just full. Ate as much as they wanted. They could go back for seconds. Let me get another two-piece fried hog. The Bible says they ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. Today, 
in the presence of God and you, I'll be talking to you from the topic, I see dead people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I get out of your way because this is your word. This is your message. These are your people. I pray that you minister to us all in such a way that we become transformed and renewed and closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I remember being 22 and frustrated and fed up. I was five years into my military career and going up the ranks and people looking up to me and coming to me for leadership and guidance and I was succeeding in so many areas of my life except money. I grew up regular middle class household, mom and dad both cheering me on, told me that I can do anything I want to do, had my back in every single way, but I didn't get much wisdom around money. And so when I left home at the age of 17 and enlisted into the United States Army, there I was a thousand miles away from home with my own money, feeling good. And I remember growing up, I didn't get all the name brand stuff that my friends got. And all the guys had the Jordans. They weren't retro because I'm old, so it was real time Jordans. Jordan was actually playing. And so the mall wasn't far from our high school. And so some people would leave during lunch, go get the new Jordans and come back and have one up on everybody like, ah, ah. I didn't get the Jordans. I mean, not one. Not one, not two, not Jordan three, not jo none. You know what I got? I got pro wings. Y'all don't know nothing about no pro wings. Let me help y'all. The pro wing was the pay less shoe store version of the Jordans. The jump man was facing the wrong way. I'm not even sure he was jumping. It'd be the same color scheme. It have some of the same features. But it was a pro wing. I ain't like that. So when I got my own money and able to do what I wanted to do with my own money, I went crazy. And I bought everything name brand because I got nothing name brand going up. Y'all trying to act like it's just me, but that's okay. <laughs> and I just began to spin recklessly, frivolously, even though I'm a strong leader. I've got wisdom in so many areas. But I had no wisdom with money, and because I lacked wisdom, I made, I made up my own rules. And the rule number one was, if I like it, I buy it. <laughs> and there were no other rules. <laughs> but then I ended up in a mess. 
I got myself in a pickle. I had a closet full of stuff and a bank account full of red numbers. Y'all don't know nothing about red numbers. And thank God that you don't know anything about red numbers when you look at your bank account. Let me help you privileged people who have never experienced red numbers. The red numbers means negative. It means you owe us. It means don't you make another purchase, bruh. You need some deposits, not withdrawals. And I was there in this cycle, messed up, frustrated, like how? Like I had my own amnesia. Like I forgot about all the stuff I bought that I could not afford. It was me. I was the problem. <laughs> because I fell for anything. Because I planned for nothing. All I thought about was looking good, smelling good, feeling good, eating good, living good. The good life. It's the only thing that was on my mind. It was the only thing that drove me. What drove me was feelings. What drove me was not just my feelings, but the feelings of others, strangers, how they would feel about me. I know I'm alone in this, so I'll just talk about myself today. I wanna hurt none of y'all's feelings. Cause I know y'all got this money thing all figured out. And so I begin to question myself, doubt myself, like how come I can't figure this out? How come I keep getting this wrong? How come I keep ending up right here every single month? You know, those conversations you start having about yourself, to yourself, they're dangerous. There's actually two, there's two conversations that you always have to steward and monitor what God says about you and what you say about you. And a lot of times because we have insufficient knowledge about what God says about us, what we say to ourselves is more detrimental than anything anybody else says. Because we haven't stewarded these two conversations in the appropriate manner. The truth is, what God says about you should inform what you say about yourself. But if you don't know what God says about you, then anybody else gets to fill in the gap. They tell you what they think about you. Society tells you what they think about you. Billion dollar corporations tell you what they think about you and it all starts to shape 
what you say about you. You know what my problem was? Because I know what you think the answer is to your money problems. It's easy, it's simple, duh, more money. That holy hush always lets me know that I'm right where I'm supposed to be. And you think that, hey, as soon as I get that promotion, that next job, my business takes off, the investment pays off, I'm good. I just got to make it to that point. The problem was I kept getting promotions, kept getting raises, and kept ending up in the same exact place. And I'm not alone. I'll let you be quiet. Come on, you know, I ain't the only one praying for that promotion because I thought that was the answer. And then six months after the promotion, there I am in the same spot. You know what the problem, you know what I was missing? The same thing that you're missing. Vision. I had no vision. I had no vision for the provision. And therefore, all I saw was the here and the now. And all my decisions pointed to the here and the now. Back to those feelings of mine. I did what felt good. The answer to your problems with your money is not more money. It's more vision. You don't know where you're going, so you end up in destinations that you don't want to be at. You don't have vision. Here's some things that you need to understand how vision works in the kingdom when it comes to your finances. Vision brings divine alignment to your finances. Divine alignment. Your vision as sons and daughters of the Most High God should reflect kingdom priorities, not just worldly ones. So when I say vision, you like, yeah, bigger house. Yeah, bigger bank accounts. Yeah, more trips, overseas passport stamp me up. But that's not a kingdom mindset. That's a worldly one. You got to understand who you are. And then you got to understand what that means to your decisions and what that means to your actions. First Peter 2 and 9 says it like this, a very familiar passage of scripture, but you are not like that. No, no, you are not like them other folks. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. Don't that make you feel good? It should. It's a biblical truth. It's written in the word of God. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it's about you. 
Because what God says about you should inform what you say about yourself. The problem is we stop right there. We shout right there. We dance right there. We cry right there and without reading the rest of the scripture. Because everything that was said is true. But then it goes on to say, as a result. Here's the result of this identity that God has given you. You can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So in the kingdom, favor, blessings, increase, prosperity ain't just for us. It's given to us to demonstrate the goodness of God to others. That's the difference between a kingdom mindset and a worldly one when it comes to your money. You asking for increase for your own selfish gain. Not so that you can be a blessing to others, not so that you can advance the kingdom of God, just so you can get a better car. There's nothing kingdom about that. I like cars, I'm a car guy. But however, comma, I'm a kingdom guy before I'm a car guy. I'm a kingdom guy before I'm a jewelry guy. I'm a kingdom guy before I'm a clothing. I think you get the point. As citizens, sons, daughters of the most high God, kingdom priorities should usurp, should be above any worldly ambitions around our money. How does this reflect? How does this impact the kingdom of God? So when you submit yourself to a God-given kingdom-type vision, that vision that you're going to have has kingdom priorities built inside of it. The next thing you need to know about vision is vision brings clarity to your identity. It's only once you know whose you are that you truly know who you are. I'm going to say it again. It's only once you know whose you are that you truly know who you are. You're not your job. You're not your title. You're not your position. You're not your ministry gift. Uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. You're a son or a daughter of God. Your identity is wrapped up in the God-man, Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2 and 10 says, once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. You got to know who you are if you want to experience financial freedom God's way. Because apart from God, you're just a vagabond. Going from place to place, still trying to figure out who you are. That's why you make the financial decisions that you make. Because you lack identity. When you know who you are, it starts to affect your everyday decision making. When you have a vision for your life, a vision for your finances, 
it shows up in your daily transactions. Y'all okay? The next thing you need to know about vision is vision provides direction to your financial decisions. A lot of us, we show up to moments and spaces and we pull out the wallet with no direction. And since we have no direction, it allows us to make any decision we want to make without accountability. Because I have no vision, how in the world can I have direction? If I have no foresight, all I see is the here and now. And then when I get there a year, two years later, I'm like, dag, what happened, B? I can't even, I can't even tip God at church. I, am I the only one? I don't know if anybody has ever experienced this. You can say amen on the inside if you want to keep yourself safe. But I remember, like, one of the turning points for me was coming up on payday, this close to payday. Put your fingers together, like, real tight, like, this close. And realizing that the majority of the paycheck that was about to hit was already accounted for. See, y'all were supposed to say amen on the inside. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to put y'all out there like that. Frustrating. That does not feel good. But you end up there because you've been making directionless financial decisions. You've been making visionless financial choices. How do you give yourself direction? Well, the first step to your vision having direction is the understanding that your vision must be written. Ooh, look at y'all, that quiet. Now you gotta do work. Yeah, your vision has to be written because a vision that is not written is just a fantasy. Can, let me help you real quick, real quick, real quick, real quick. You can't show up to a bank trying to get a business loan without a business plan. You can't come to an investor like me and say, bro, I need you to, I got this, I got this. Ooh, look, it's gonna work, bro, it's gonna work. I got this idea. All I need is $100,000, come on, big bro, help me out. I need to see a plan. I need to see a vision. You can't be just like, listen, check this out, right? Boom. Anytime somebody started with boom, you're in trouble. So check this out, right? Boom. It ain't nothing like this. Listen, listen, just, just watch. Chickens and shape-ups. It's going to be a barbershop slash chicken joint, bro. So while you getting your hair cut, we frying up your six piece, and when you done, you walk out fresh cut, fresh chicken. That's hilarious, right? 
but that's what some of our prayers look like to God. He's saying, Lord, I don't know how I'm gonna pay this bill. I don't know how, how I'm gonna pay for my kids' college. I, I don't know how, if you could just bless me, if you could just hook me up this time. But you got no vision for the increase that you're asking for. You have no vision for the promotion that you're petitioning him for. You just like, so God, check this out, right? Boom. got no plan. You've got no vision. There's nothing written down. You're just freestyling through life. You're just going from the first to the 15th, back to the first, barely making it every time or not making it at all. you gotten so used to struggle, it's second nature. That's all you know. But you call yourself creative. You're robbing Peter to pay Paul. You're used to lack. For some of us, it ain't even lack. We're just used to being average. Can I ask you something? What about the God of the universe is average? You think he saved you just so you can be comfortable? With no margin to bless somebody else? That doesn't sound like the kingdom to me. But some of us have been lulled to sleep by our comfort. We got just enough for us. We got enough for our needs, and we got a little bit for our wants. And the devil just rocking you to sleep in your comfort because you got no kingdom impact. Only people being impacted is you. And that's not a kingdom principle. We are blessed to be a blessing. You got that degree by the grace of God, that certification by the grace of God, that job by the grace of God, that promotion by the grace of God. Don't you think God has other people in mind besides you? Your vision must be written. I'll give you Bible, Habakkuk 2 and 2. The Lord answered me, write down this vision. Clearly, say clearly, you can't be vague. Lord, I want to be a millionaire. Why? What you going to do with it? Lord, just supernaturally cancel my debt. Why? What you going to do with it? Lord, just come on, raise that credit score in the mighty name of Jesus. Why? What are you going to do with it? I, I didn't step too hard. I don't want more lights going out. What are you going to do with it? Why should he do it? Where's your vision? Where's your plan? And the verse goes on to say, clearly inscribe it on tablets so one may easily re read it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. Visions point to the future. It forces you to think about the future. 
It forces you to imagine what your future could look like if you changed what you was doing today. An appointed time. It testifies. Come on, it's a testimony. It testifies about the end, and it will not lie. Do you see how powerful vision is? And why the devil has been so good at making sure you don't have one? Because it's a testimony and it will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it. Turn to your neighbor and say, wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for Have patience. Wait for it. Although it delays, wait for it. Since it will certainly come and not be late. Come on, come on. It won't be late when it's a vision that God has given you. It might delay. We, we used to say on the side side, it may not come when you want them. Let it be there right on time. It won't be late. Nah, not a kingdom vision. When you truly develop a kingdom-minded vision for your finances, you will learn to allow the Holy Spirit to aid you in your decisions. Yeah, he wants to be a part of your financial decisions. He's not just here to help you pick what church to go to. He's not here just for you to operate in a spiritual gift. He's not just here to help you choose your boot. Some of y'all don't even use them for that, but that's, that's another sermon series for another time. He wants to be involved in the choices you are making financially, but you got to welcome them in. You got to let him in. Here's why you need a vision. Here's why you need to think about the future when it comes to your financial decisions. It's found in Luke 14, 28. But don't begin until you count the cost. Some of y'all begin and find out the cost on the backside and realize you ain't got enough. But the Bible says, don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin constructing a building without first collecting the cost, excuse me, calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? You know who would do that? Turn to your neighbor real quick and say, you. You would do that. The Bible says who? The answer is you. Y'all just be out here constructing buildings. Ain't calculated nothing. I ain't talking about just homes. I'm talking about your decisions. Y'all just be out here doing your thing. Ain't calculated nothing. Ain't written no vision for nothing. Ain't got no foresight about nothing. And you still talking about, oh, but I know the Lord's going to make a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but you got a part to play too. You can't just be out here, here it comes again, willy-nilly. It just comes. I don't, it's not even in my notes. 
I don't know why I be saying willy-nilly. I don't know what willy-nilly means, but it was said to me so many times that it's just in my brain. You can't be out here willy-nilly. One day I'm going to meet willy-nilly and find out why do we say willy-nilly. <laughs> but the verse goes on to say, otherwise you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone will laugh at you. See, the Bible got all kind of promises, not just the ones that make us feel good on the inside. The Bible said that if you be out here constructing buildings without first calculating the cost, you're only going to have a piece of it and people are going to laugh at you. In Jesus' name. They laughing at you. Can I help you people laughing at you anyway? I mean, you bought the right clothes, you got the right car, you live in the right neighborhood, and people still talking about you. So you out here trying to impress who? For what? They laughing anyway. So you might as well come back in alignment with the kingdom and what the Bible says. The next thing you need to know is that vision fosters the creation of your legacy. Kingdom-minded people aren't just thinking about themselves. They're thinking about the generations to come, the other people with their last name. A kingdom mindset doesn't focus on the first name. It focuses on the last name. Write that down. You'll get it on the way home. You have to think legacy. Why? Because it's a kingdom principle found in Proverbs 13 and 22. A good person, say a good person, leaves an inheritance for their children's children. But a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. And we, oh, we love this. This is our verse right here. This is one of them ones. Because we'd be like, yes, we come to serve, we run around and say, because the wealth of the wicked, come on, that's King James Version, the wealth of the wicked. Come on, Lord, give me the wealth of the wicked. I know it's laid up for me. <laughs> but this one verse is talking about one person. Either you're a good person. How are you know if you're a good person? If you leave an inheritance for your children's children, if you have vision that goes beyond yourself, or there's a comma talking about the same person, you're either going to be on the left side of the comma or the right side of the comma. The left side of the comma says a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. On the right side of the comma, a sinner's wealth, where does it go? It goes to the righteous. So you are either that good person or you are that sinner. There's not, talking, there's not two characters in this verse. There's two options, but you're going to pick which one you are. 
Either you're going to say, Lord, I'm going to do this your way or I'm going to do it the world's way. And guess what? Everything you have will eventually end up with the righteous. I'm trying to help you. I'm not trying to offend you. So I'm going to give you a few steps on how to implement vision for your finances. It's imperative that you do this work. Why did I call it I see dead people? There's a dead person on the $1 bill. There's a dead person on the $5 bill. There's a dead person on the $10 bill. There's a dead person on the $20 bill. There's a dead person on the $50 bill. There's a dead person on the $100 bill. You need vision for your money. You need to envision. Okay, let's do a little exercise that helped me. I got so frustrated because all my money was accounted for. All these companies were about to get my paycheck and I wasn't. So I asked myself this question. I would love for you to ask yourself this question as well. What would life feel like if I didn't owe all these people this money? What would my life look like if all these withdrawals remained a deposit? No, no, no. I really envisioned it. I really allowed myself to feel like what that life would feel like for me. I had a vision for my money that was beginning to form and shape because I allowed myself to think about these dead people in a new way. Those dead people on your money, they got a legacy. That's why they on there. So part of seeing these dead people, I know it sounds morbid, but I bet you're going to remember, the reason that you need to have a vision for these dead people because you want to create a legacy too, don't you? Don't you want to be impactful while you're on this earth? and potentially impactful after you're gone. That's a kingdom mindset. So what are the steps to executing a vision that's kingdom-minded for our finances? Well, I think every answer that we need is in our opening passage of Scripture in the book of Mark where Jesus fed the 5,000. You got to understand that this is a miracle that stands heads and shoulders above most miracles in your Bible. Outside of the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is the only other miracle that you can find in all four of your Gospels. The only one. This miracle had more witnesses than any other miracle in your Bible. It's the most public display of the miraculous power 
of Jesus Christ. Because in your Bible, a lot of times, Jesus did miracles in private. He would go, he said, everybody clear the room. He would resurrect. He would take somebody outside the city limits. He would touch their eyes. Some of his, some of his miracles were, were semi-private, meaning to a, a, a captive audience. You remember the first one, right, when he turned the water into wine? At a wedding party. How about when he walked on water? Who saw that? Just the disciples, semi-private. But when he fed the 5,000, <laughs> and the Bible says that it was 5,000 men, not including women and children. So some scholars have it somewhere between 10 to 15,000 people that were actually there and actually present and actually witnessed it and actually received the miracle. And some estimates say that that actually represented somewhere between 6 to 8% of the population of that region, all witnesses. See, it's easy to discredit a witness if one or two people see it. But how are you going to deal with 10 to 15,000 witnesses that all saw and all ate? And all received the same miracle. So how do we do this? Number one, assess your current situation. You got to accurately assess your current situation. You got to deal with it. You're going to have to pull your head up out of the sand and look to see what's actually your current reality. Mark 6 and 35 says, late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. They were telling Jesus the reality of the current situation. They were in a region that was remote, far away from any shops, far away from any, from any opportunity to make purchases. So, logically, it made sense to say, Jesus, listen, it's getting late. We ain't ate. They ain't ate. We should probably send them so that they can eat. And in turn, maybe we can get a little something, something too, because we just came off tour and we ain't ate. Now you got us back out here leading the people, and we hangry. <laughs> but for you, before, before we can get to any miraculous works, you need to know where you are. You need to know how much you make. You need to know how much your expenses are. You need to know how much debt you're in. You need to know what your credit report says. You need to know your current situation in detail, not generally. Well, I think I owe a little about, um, see, my credit score is about, uh, no, 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 no. You need to know your current situation. They detailed the situation. They weren't vague. They say, look, we out here in the middle of nowhere. It's late. They hungry. Send them so that they can eat. Details. You're lacking details. You can't create a vision with generalities. You need to be specific. You need details, even though it might be tough. I want to acknowledge that. 
because that's real. When you start to look at your situation, it can be emotional. You start to look at yourself like, how did I get here? I've been there. It doesn't feel the best. But then that comes back to that vision of yours. Once you have it, it helps you do the hard things because you see clearer now. You have a destination now. You know whose you are now, which helps you to make different decisions now, but you need to know where you are, even though it'll be uncomfortable. You must do the work. I know you like supernatural breakthroughs. That's a Christian buzzword. It's real, it happens. But here's how it works. You take your natural, he brings the super. Then it becomes supernatural. If you ain't doing nothing, it's just super blank. No, no. Supernatural breakthrough requires you and your natural abilities. And God comes and touches it, and it becomes supernatural. That's why these are the steps. You see it in Scripture. Now you got to see it in your life. So after you assess the current situation, allow Jesus to shift you from a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset. Allow Jesus to shift you from a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset. Some of you are in love with the struggle. You actually find comfort in saying what you don't got, what you can't do, because... That's the way your brain has been wired. Even if it's a reality. How you approach it matters. Here's the difference. You may have a need that's bigger than what's in your bank account right now. Here's what a scarcity mindset looks like in this instance. I don't know how, ain't no way I'm going to be able to get this done. Stress, anxiety, take over, start to affect you physically, start to affect you mentally. Because to you, all you see is scarcity because you don't have kingdom vision. Here's an abundance mindset in the same exact scenario. There is a need that's bigger than what's in my bank account. But I don't say, I don't know how. I say, how can I? What can I do to get this need met? Same situation, same set of circumstances, different mentality. One leads you to a pit. One leads you to a solution. Because your prayer is different. When you have the scarcity mindset, all you're doing is praying to God from a place of lack. Fix it, Jesus. I know you can do it. 
I don't know how, but I know you can. We really church it up. We, we put that church season in on it. You the fixer. You the helper. You the lifter up of my head. But when you pray from an abundance mindset, it's Lord, help me to figure out. Help me to understand. Lord, give me your wisdom to help me meet this need. <laughs> You're praying for fish when you should be praying, praying for poles. Scarcity, abundance. Because if you, Lord, if you give me a fishing pole, after this need is met, I can go and do even more. As opposed to scarcity, Lord, I need a fish. Here you go. Now what? You're going to be right here next month asking me for another fish. And you haven't developed, you haven't grown, you're still the same. Scarcity. So allow Jesus to give you a different mindset. Here's how I looked in the scripture, verse 37. But Jesus said, you feed them. With what, they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. God's trying to give them prosperity, and all they can see is their problems. He's trying to exchange. It's Jesus. Of course he knows. He knows that they are in a remote location. He knows that ain't nobody ate. So they're like, Lord, listen, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. He says, you feed them. What was he doing? Trying to change their mindset. You know what was strange? All they could see was their problem, even though they were talking to God. Ah. <laughs> they are in the presence of God. The hypostatic union, 100% God, 100% man. That's who they're in a conversation with. And they like, Lord, we don't have enough. Send them away. Send them away. Send them away. Send them away. We can't do it. Even though you're God, we can't do it. Send them away. Send them away. Is that a reflection of our prayer life? Do we show up to God with our problems, without first realizing that we are in the presence of God. And he is the answer. <laughs> we come to God asking God for an answer without realizing he is the answer. He has the solution. They were talking to God. And they didn't ask God to feed them. They asked God to send them away. 
because they had a scarcity mindset. They couldn't see the power of God that was in their midst. If they would have approached him just a little differently, if they just would have shifted their mentality, they would have been able to see they're talking to God. Of course he knows. And of course he has the answer. How are you showing up to God? How are you presenting your situation to him? Do yourself a favor and allow Jesus to shift you from a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset. Number three, say number three. Assemble the resources that you have, comma, and bring them to the Lord. Verse 38 says, how much bread do you have? This is Jesus talking. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Catch this. Jesus is all-knowing. He knew how much bread was present. He knew how much fish was present, but he put them to work. How many people are there? 5,000 men. Maybe 10 to 15,000 people in total. And he told these 12 apostles to go walk through a crowd of 10 to 15,000 people and find out how much resources were available. You know what that's called? Work. Remember, they hangry. They ain't ate in a minute. And he's putting them to work. But we don't like it when God puts us to work. When the Bible tells us to budget. Oh, no, that's, that's, that's not kingdom. Lord, just make it. Give me some manna from heaven. Just let it show up. No, get to work. Figure out how much resources you do have. How much savings do you have? How much income do you have? How much debt do you have? What do you have? Go and find out. Go and find out. This is the part of the series you don't like. I don't care. Go and find out. And they did it. They did the work. They followed the instructions of the master. And the Bible says that they came back and reported. Two little fish and five loaves of bread. So not only did they do the work, but they brought it back to Jesus. <laughs> so not only are you supposed to go look through your numbers, look through your financials, figure out your situation, but you're supposed to bring it back to Jesus. Here it is, Lord. You got to go. You got to find out. You got to assemble all of the resources that you have. Figure it out. Cry if you got to. Breathe in and out if you have to. Whatever you got to do, go and find out and bring it back 
Turn to your neighbor and say, bring it back. So after you assemble the resources, next thing is you have to arrange your finances in an organized manner. Order. You need order. How did this look in the scripture? After they brought it back, the five loaves and two fish, the next thing, the next thing that happened in verse 39 says, then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups in the grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Turn you to your neighbor real quick and say, hey, neighbor, he made them go back to work. How many people were there? 5,000 men, maybe 10 to 15,000 in total. He said, put these people in groups of 50 or 100. That's a lot of groups. And people be people. Can you imagine? Come on, y'all got to read the Bible like it really happened. It's like three or four hundred people in here. If I said, okay, guys, thus said the Lord, I need everybody to stand up, get your belongings, and we're going to get in groups of 50. First of all, some of y'all are going to roll your eyes. Mm -mm, ain't you, uh -uh, this is my seat. Mm -mm, I don't know them like that. Who all over there? That's with three to... We're talking 10 to 15,000 people. All along the grass. Ain't no megaphones. Ain't no text messages. We can't send no email. They have to go talk to these people face to face. Come on, that's hard work. I don't know if you know about where Jesus and them live, but it was hot. I mean, dumb hot. When I was in Iraq, I was like, how did the Bible people do this? It was 116 degrees. I'm like, is that even allowed? It was hot. They was hungry. They was tired. They just came off tour. And now Jesus is sending them back to work. All right, everybody, listen up. I need everybody in groups of 50 and 100. First of all, now you got to count. Then you got to find a space for this group. Now you got to go find a space for the next group. It's 15,000 people there. Y'all be thinking what the Lord requires of you is easy. Doesn't require any hard work. Baby, sometimes you got to sweat it out. Sometimes you got to do the work. Sometimes you got to roll up your sleeves and get dirty in the kingdom of God. Yeah, you can't just wave holy oil on the car and it becomes yours. I know that's what they told you. You just go name it and just say, yes, Lord. S500 in Jesus' name. That's not how the kingdom works. You got to work. Natural meets the super. 
and becomes supernatural. What does that look like for you? Why would Jesus tell them to group them? Because he's making room for the blessing to flow. When there's chaos and disorder, it doesn't allow the anointing to flow properly through the situation. Because God is not a God of disorder. Before a miracle took place, God told them to organize the people. What does that mean for you? You got to organize your paper. What's that? It's called a budget. Ah, uh, don't head for the exit now. <laughs> Baby, you need a budget. Because organization makes room for the blessings to flow. It forces you to become, here's a dirty word in church, disciplined. You can't just do what you want to do in the kingdom. You can't just buy what you want to buy. Maybe you can, but you're not going to be in position to receive what God has for you until you get organized. Put your money in groups, categories. Some categories are smaller, groups of 50. Some categories are larger, groups of 100. But when you properly identify and place order into your finances, it makes space. It brings clarity. It allows for vision to flow through your financial situation when you have order. Say order. Become organized. I'm almost done, so y'all frustration can subside a little bit. The next thing you have to do is appeal to God to help you steward your resources well. You got to get God involved. Don't show up on the back end after everything is a mess and say, Jesus, fix it. No, no, no. You got to proactively involve him. Ask him, should you? Hello? Should I? Is this wise? Would you have me to do this? But you have to appeal to God. After you do your work, after you bring some order, Lord, help me steward what I have well. You're overlooking that. You're trying to leap past that and say, Lord, give me a promotion. Lord, send a check in the mail. Lord, magically make this debt disappear. Uh -uh. You bring some order and you bring it to the Lord and ask him to give you discipline. Ask him to give you wisdom. How did that look? After the work, listen, listen, listen. They had to do the work of assessing the situation. They had to do the work of allowing a different mindset. Let the mind of Christ be in you. They had to do the work of assembling, figuring out where their resources were currently at. They had to do the work 
of getting their finances organized. And then comes Jesus. Now that it's in his hands, now that the work was done by the disciples, verse 41 says, Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, and blessed them. That didn't happen until the work was done. That wasn't step one. No, 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 that's step five. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. Did you catch that? <laughs> he didn't have it in his hands, and he didn't have the people come get it out of his hand. No, no, no. It went from his hand to the disciples' hands to the people's hands. Because that's the way the kingdom works. When he puts these fish pieces and bread pieces in your hand, he has other people in mind. So when you do the work and then you bring it to him and then he blesses it, the Bible says, and he blessed it. And that's when the miraculous started happening. The disciples had to go back to work. They didn't just sit back like, Lord, I know you're going to do it. I can't wait. Ah! Watch him do it. Watch, 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 watch. Watch what he's going to do. Watch what he's going to do. No, 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 no. In that same Middle Eastern heat, he put it back in their hands and said, go give it to the people. Keep going. Almost there. Keep working. Here comes the breakthrough. Keep working. The miracle's in your hands. And now go and bless other people. Because the kingdom mindset is an other's mentality. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. Everybody got the two-piece. Extra crispy. Mild sauce. Salt and pepper. Everybody ate. And everybody ate good. The last step. So after you assess your current situation, after you allow Jesus to shift you from a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset, and after you assemble the resources that you have and bring them to the Lord, and after you arrange your finances in an organized manner, and after you appeal to God, to help you steward your resources well. The last step, account for the increase. And use it to create margin. Here, hear me, hear me. Account for the increase because the increase is coming. See, biblical strategies don't fail. 
So if you do steps one, two, three, four, and five, the increase is coming. But there's another step. You have to account for the increase and use it to create margin. The Bible didn't say, and there were leftovers. The people ate good and there was a little bit more. Uh -uh. The Bible was specific. The Bible was detailed in verse 42. First of all, they ate as much as they wanted. So he didn't just give them one. He didn't just give them two. He gave them as much, as much as they wanted. After they did the work, he gave them as much as they wanted. Woo, Lord, break these small thinking mentalities in this room. Because what you want is as much as you're going to get. Ah. If what you want is this big, amen, that's what you're going to get. <laughs> he gave them as much as they wanted. We're not thinking big enough. Our vision is too small, if it exists at all. However, you bring it to them. Whatever level your expectation sits at, they ate as much as they wanted. That's not even the best part. 43 is the best part. It says, and afterward. The disciples picked up 12 baskets 12 baskets. How many disciples was it? The disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover fish and bread. That's called increase. Listen, 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 listen. He gave them as much as they wanted and there was still more. Why? Because he does exceedingly. And abundantly. Here's the part you miss. Above all, it's tied together, that they ask or think. He's going to go above it. But how big is your thoughts? How big are your requests? Some of us are still comfortable with the struggle. Some of us still have limits on our thinking. Some of us still feel disqualified to make our requests known to him. 
we immediately think about our shortcomings. I don't have enough education. I don't have a solid network. Some of us are like Moses, Lord, I'm slow to speech. I have a disability. Surely I don't qualify for big. But Lord, I failed so many times. Lord, I'm single. Lord, I'm married. Lord, I got all these kids. How am I? going to do anything great financially. Kids are expensive. That, that's, back, that, that's a scarcity mindset. He knew how many kids she was going to have. He knew about your singleness. He knew you were going to be married. He knew about your disability. He knew about your criminal record. He knows about all of it. And he's still God. He's still available. He's still miraculous. He's still mighty. He's still powerful. He's still giving people all that they wanted at the level that they requested. Stand with me real quick. I see dead people. Where's the vision for your money? Thank you for being part of today's episode. To stay connected, please visit us at PurposeCityChurch.com. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with your loved ones. Your support means the world to us. As you go about your day, remember to make a meaningful difference in the world. Thanks for listening.